The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. So this is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, 1-13. through 13. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machir, the son of Emil at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Emil at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. <laughs> and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you all to you, all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to his house, I have given to your master's grandson and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's son. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and uh, for this beautiful picture of grace in the Old Testament. Um, I pray that today we can kind of close out distractions and really listen with open ears for what you have prepared for us today um, and take this time to connect with you and um, find new life in what, in what we might look at as an old story. Um, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Victoria. I love it when we can give my sister-in-law these scriptures like that and have her read through it. It's just great hearing that. We didn't do that on purpose, Victoria. I promise you. No, um, if this is your first time today, my name is Randall. I'm glad you're here this morning. And uh, we are in a two-week series right now. So this is the second week of the series called Loving Your Neighbor in a Digital World. And last week, we started this series by studying the friendship between David and Jonathan. And if you're new to the Bible, Jonathan and David and their friendship is a really famous friendship because David was just uh, somebody that really stood out in the Bible. Uh, so we, so we, we looked at that friendship. And, and one of the things that we know as we processed the friendship between David and Jonathan is that um, our world is technologically advancing, uh, but our needs are still the same. Our needs today are still the same as, as uh, when we read scriptures like this. And so here's what we need. We need deep, lasting, authentic relationships, friendships. 
And uh, so today, we will look back to those who've gone before us, and we're going to look at David and Mephibosheth. Uh, our text today is 2 Samuel 9, uh, 1 through 13, and here's the message. Genuine compassion in a digital world. Genuine compassion in a digital world. In our society, I believe that we have lost the ability to have genuine compassion on others because most of our relationships are spent looking at a screen rather than looking eye to eye. See, things have changed. Our world has changed. A 2014 Nielsen survey found that the average American spends 11 hours on social media and more than half of that time is spent looking at a smartphone or tablet. I can think back when I just had a flip phone. Right? And I was like, dude, this is, this is awesome. And then when texting came, I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't want a text plan. And then I was in youth ministry and you gotta get a text plan when you're in youth ministry because the kids are, they, they already know what the future is. So I'm getting texts all the time and I'm like, I'm not paying 50 cents per text. I'm sorry, I'm getting a text plan now. And so knowing that this is the way that the world is and this is how things have changed, whether we like it or not, we need to know this. Healthy communication, there are three elements to it that are, are crucial. Let me give you the order. This is the order. Body language, tone of voice, words. When we talk about social media, communication, text messages, in order of, important, in, in order of importance, we miss the first two. Let's be honest, emojis can't quite get what we're trying to get across. Digital communication emphasizes the words only. And so now do you understand why many times we have huge miscommunications when sending that email or text message? Nancy Sleeth in an article called Do You Need a Technology Fast says, something is wrong, terribly wrong about our time. We feel it like a splinter in our hearts. There's, there's no room for margin. We Twitter while we drive, talk while we text, and surf until we fall asleep. But even while in bed, we stay plugged in, available 24-7. People tell me they could not live without their cell phones or internet or email, and they mean it. Yet in many ways, these technologies lead us to more disconnected rather than connected lives. My greatest concern is not physical, emotional, or social, it's spiritual. How can we hear the voice of God if we are multitasking nonstop? And can we see the face of God, how can we see the face of God in still waters and green pastures when we are chronically refreshing the screen? The digital generation is a distracted generation. See, as we scroll through our newsfeed, we need God's power to break through in our lives and form in us genuine compassion. J.B. Phillips once said, every time we say I believe in the Holy Spirit, we mean that we believe there is a living God able and willing to enter human personality and change it. See, we need the living God to come in and change us from the inside out. <sighs> Scroll long enough, 
And we see that we need God to break through, change us. And so our text today is 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 13. And in today's text, David comes face to face with his best friend's son, Mephibosheth. We learn earlier in 2 Samuel 4, 4, while King Saul and his father, Jonathan, were at war and would eventually die, that Mephibosheth's nurse, when he was five years old, picked him up running for safety and accidentally dropped him. And in that story, what we find out is that he was crippled for the rest of his life. And so to, through today's exchange that we see between Mephibosheth and David, we see David ex- display this genuine compassion on somebody that had nothing left. So what does genuine compassion look like? Well, today we're gonna study three elements that we see in today's text. And here's what they are. Genuine compassion is, number one, determined, not disposable. Determined, not disposable. Number two, it's gentle, not vengeful. And number three, gracious, not condemning. So we're gonna study all three of these and break them down from today's text. So the first point is determined, not disposable. What does that mean? Let's look at verse one and then we'll go into three and four. Starting in verse one. And David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And then we drop down to verse three. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? What we see in this text of scripture is that David is determined. He is determined. He he asked multiple times, verse one, is there anyone Verse three, is there still someone? Verse four, where is he? What makes David so determined? What what, what is he so determined to offer? It says he was determined to offer the kindness of God. The kindness of God. Now, when you look at the original word for kindness, it, it, it just radiates with meaning. What it means is this covenantal friendship. A a loyal, steadfast love. He wanted to bring justice. David is determined and he pursues. He seeks. He says, is there somebody out there from the line of Jonathan that I can bless? He wants to offer this kindness. And he ends up offering it to the lowliest person. The person that really was an afterthought to Ziba. So yeah, yeah there's, this, there's this son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Yeah, yeah, we, what about him? Maybe him. See, many in our generation have settled for not a determined type of relationship or love like David is pursuing here, but a disposable one. Disposable relationships. 
If we don't see something in that person that, that they, we can get something out of them, then we, we say, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to spend my time there. We've settled for it, and, and what we need are the determined type of relationships that David is wanting, the committed love relationships. But that type of relationship that David is offering here takes a commitment. It takes a commitment. And what is commitment? It's limiting ourselves. It's focusing. It's saying, I will be all there 100% in. I once saw a quote that said, and I think this is, captures our generation, the only thing I'm committed to are my commitment issues. It's the only thing I'm committed to. This kind of commitment is not natural that David's offering here. What this is, it's the kindness of God. Do you see that David didn't say it was, it was just my kindness? He said, this is the kindness of God. There's a steadfast, loving, determined relationship that God pursues us with, and David knew that about his God. And so, what has God formed in David? That type of love this type of determined love that seeks out. See, on this point, Timothy Keller says, covenant love always limits you. It limits your freedom. It cuts you off from other options automatically. You say, I don't want to be in a group. I don't want to volunteer to teach. I don't want to be a member. I just want to come. See, we're not willing to place ourselves in positions to say, no, I'm determined to commit, to be all there, 100%. David isn't thinking disposable, he's thinking commitment. And what this does is it limits him, it's going to cost him something, but he is still determined to give it. Genuine compassion. Genuine compassion. The second point is this, gentle, not vengeful. Gentle, not vengeful. Look at verses six through eight. It says, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard to a dead dog such as I? In this section, David comes face to face with a beaten down man. The way that Mephibosheth refers to himself is he says, I'm a dead dog. I have nothing. Why would you even consider me coming before you? Why, why would you even consider showing me this kind of kindness? I have nothing to offer you. See, in, in, during this time, this would have been natural because Mephibosheth had nothing to offer him. 
He was crippled. He, he had nothing to, to, to show David, say, look at me, look at how valuable I am. See, at best, most kings would have seen Mephibosheth as a threat. And so what he would have been really is a dead dog. He would have been a part of the purge of the kingdom. He would have been killed off. See, Mephibosheth is a family member of the old regime. David's the new king. And you have to think about this. Like instinctively, you think about David's life. He's running, he's being chased, he's being pursued to be killed by Saul, Mephibosheth's grandfather. Shouldn't David have sought vengeance for all that Saul had done to him? He could have said, well, I'm, I'm gonna pay this guy back for all that Saul did to me. No, that's not what David does. See, he could have taken all his wrath out on Mephibosheth, but instead he offered him grace and he was gentle. He was gentle with him. I mean, look, look, at, this, look at this interaction here that, that he, he, he comes, Mephibosheth comes, he's obviously frightened. He obviously thinks his life's gonna be taken. Why does David say to him, do not fear? Do not fear. See, th- this, is, this is when we read texts like this, all we see are the, the words, but a lot of times we don't get the emotion that's happening here. The emotional connection that's happening in this text here is, is I want you to see David with this big smile on his face. This inviting, gentle smile, just inviting Mephibosheth, saying, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna be all right. Because what we find out later is Mephibosheth has, he has a kid. He's probably worried. He's just like that scared, worried parent like, okay, I'm done. What's gonna happen with my family? I'm just a dead dog. Commentating on this scripture, Eugene Peterson says in 2 Samuel this, that David's first word to Mephibosheth is the speaking of his name. You see it? It's like this exclamation point like, Mephibosheth! Mephibosheth is recognized as a person. He's not a nameless exile, not a subcategory of victim. He has a name. And David goes to the trouble to learn it. If there is any dishonor associated with Mephibosheth's name, it is wiped clean as David addresses him in loyal love. See, where do most of our misunderstandings happen in our world? It's usually not face-to-face like this where you can feel the emotion, you can see the body language and the tone of voice. It's usually through that email, that text. I mean, have have you ever gotten that email that just made you want vengeance? Turn into keyboard warrior? Just got so many good ideas about I could just pop, 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 you know? (laughs) That what we do? In 2009, Jody Brunner uh, wrote an article about this, and, and here's what she said. She said, email doesn't convey context. 
We experience email as words on a screen, but we miss seeing a unique face in a unique context. One report on this study concludes, this makes it easy to forget the humanness of our recipient. Consequently, email style tends to be more serious and less friendly, more aggressive and less polite. We don't have these types of interactions and face-to-face interactions like this. And usually what happens is we just get stirred up. Vengeance. See, David calls from a Mephibosheth to be brought before him. He wanted to see him. He wanted to lock eyes with him. He wanted to know his name. He wanted to hear his story. And in this, he shows gentleness, not vengeance. Lastly, it's this, gracious, not condemning. He's gracious, not condemning. Look at verses nine and 10. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belongs to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Instead of destroying Mephibosheth, which would have been expected, David graciously invited him in and treated him like family. See, what he's doing in this moment is he's taking care of all of Mephibosheth's needs. Everything I could do for you, I will take care of it for you. Everything within my power, it's yours. All your concerns are no more. How was David so gracious? David was gracious because of the name. The name. You see what covers Mephibosheth throughout this whole story? It was the name of Jonathan that covered him. It was Jonathan earlier on that that had the power to kill David along with his father Saul but instead laid down everything to be David's friend. You see, Mephibosheth didn't earn this Jonathan did. His father did. If this were the way it was supposed to be, Mephibosheth deserved condemnation. That's what he should have got. He should have been purged from the kingdom. But it was the name that covered him that gave him grace. We look at this story and you say, well, I want a Jonathan. I want a name like that that covers me so I could get what Mephibosheth gets. That sounds amazing. I mean, how does, how does that story apply to me? Do you realize that today this is your story and my story? What this is is a picture and a glimpse of the gospel. This is the mes- message of Christianity. This is everything. You see, as Christians, it's the name of a greater friend, Jesus, that covers us, 
See, if, if we were com- be- coming before the king, God, and we were coming before him and saying, okay, here's what I have to offer, all we are are dead dogs. We have nothing to offer him. There's nothing that we could say, yep, look at what I earned, God. See, what we would have deserved would be condemnation. But what God offers us is this. He says, there's a friend, Jesus, who wants to cover everything for you and say, I made the payment where you could be blessed richly and graciously. Not because we deserved it, but because God is a gracious God. We receive grace like this and life because Jesus laid down his life for us. See, Mephibosheth lost his dad in battle. And if we think about it, we lost Jesus in battle, the battle against sin and death. And Jesus says, I want to be the better Jonathan for you. I want to be the friend that you've always wanted. I want to be the friend that will cover you when you're down and you're depressed and you feel like a dead dog. I got your back. See, It's not that we're good people and we go out and we're really compassionate people. It's that God came and was very compassionate towards us, loved us, was gracious towards us, and now because of his graciousness, we can go be gracious to an ungracious world. Do you think that Mephibosheth was changed by this? Everything in his life had to have changed how he saw himself, how he viewed the world, had to have changed. See, that's what happens when we come in contact with a God that loves us like this. And so just some takeaways. How do we apply this to our lives? The first takeaway is this. Genuine compassion starts with knowing We're not naturally compassionate people. We're actually very judgmental, critical people, if we're honest. Most of the time it's in our mind, isn't it? David took the time to hear Mephibosheth's story, to see him face to face, and here's the beauty of it. He didn't dismiss him. He didn't dismiss him. Other kings would have said, I don't have time for you, but he had time for the lowliest. Many times we dismiss people because we're never willing to take the time to know their story, to know their name. See, there are many times where I've dismissed people. Ah, they're just prideful, arrogant. See them on social media. Ah, look at them. Don't really know them. only to become really good friends with them later after learning their name, learning their story, learning what they've been through. See, genuine compassion starts with 
knowing. And here's the thing about us as humans. We think we know it all, don't we? We think we know the story. If I, if I can piece this picture from Instagram to this, then I think I've got the whole story about this person. And it gives me enough information to dismiss them because I know it all. Look them eye to eye. Get to know a name. Hear a story. And then allow God to transform our hearts so that we can be compassionate, gracious, genuinely uh, interested people. Right? So that's the first one is, is that. And the second takeaway is learn the gift of presence. Learn the gift of presence. Um, a study said that 21% of teens wish their parents spent less time on their phones. When is that time in life, and I've only heard it, my, my, my oldest is seven. He wants to hang with me all the time, but when he gets to teenage years, I'm guessing that he probably won't want to be hanging with dad. It's not cool to hang with dad anymore. See, we, in some ways, we bought into the way the world says it and said, oh, well, kids don't want to spend time with their parents. But why are there still statistics that say that 21% of teens wish their parents spent less time on their phones? Because maybe we bought into a lie and maybe what they really want is for us to sit down eye to eye even though they give us this. Right? Even though they seem disinterested. Because if you were to look back at your teenage years, don't you wish you were able to spend a little bit more time with your parents? And they were able to sit there with you and walk you through some things. And really the only options we have most of the time are our buddies, which they don't have any more information than we do. It's the blind leading the blind. Right? We need to learn the gift of presence. And I'm trying to grow in this. See, w- one of the ways is this, is commit to face-to-face relationships. There might be some people right now that God has placed around you in your life. He strategically placed them there in your life. And you're missing out on it because you're on the phone. And here's the thing. We live in an area where it's like, ah, I'm only here for a short time, a short season, going to school here, and so I got all my really good friends back home. And we make this excuse of transience or I'm not here long, and we miss out on what God might be trying to do right around us. We miss the gift of presence and just being in the moment. And so, as we kind of work this out, if we commit to face-to-face relationships, maybe some of us, this might be helpful just to take a technology fast for a little bit, just some restrictions. I, I want to say this. Technology is not bad. It's not bad. It's a really great, useful thing to connect with people from all over the world. But some of us are slaves to our phones. Some of us are. And I just want to say, I've been there. I can still be there. I ask for God's grace all the time. Like, Lord, help me not to miss this moment with my kids because I'm so wrapped up in this text message or Facebook thing or Instagram thing. I've kind of stopped like posting all the things that me and my family do. 
because I just want to be with my family, right? And, and so maybe it might be something where we kind of take a step back and say, okay, I need to put some restrictions on this. Carl Barth once said, a being is free only when it can determine and limit its activity. It's only free when you can determine and limit its activity. Do you have the ability to limit and determine the activity? Because many of us are feeling overwhelmed. And the way we put it is just overstimulated because of technology. Can we put some distance in there and learn the gift of presence? The third one is seek ways to offer kindness. See, one of the kindest things we could do is to invite someone into our life, give them the benefit of the doubt, because many times we judge so quickly. Here's the thing we talked about last week. We, we all need grace. We all do. That's the only way that relationships work. If we're honest, healthy working relationships work because of grace. It's the, the ability to overlook an offense. It's not to be a doormat, but it's the ability to forgive and overlook an offense. And so David didn't hold Saul's sins against Mephibosheth. He didn't hold it against him. It was in the past, it was forgiven, it was done. He was able to move forward. And the last one is this, choose your battles wisely. Choose your battles wisely. Right, like we have to take into consideration that for much of how we interact with people in our world right now, it has changed from this. We, we've got technology. We, we can interact with people like never before. We have to be wise about this. We have to let the Spirit lead us, not our emotions. James 3 tells us that the tongue is dangerous. If you've never read about this, you should go to James chapter 3, read this section, and take it seriously. Our words are powerful. He said, just a simple spark can set a whole forest ablaze. Just a simple one like that. It's powerful. Just for us, being wise in these battles, because there, there's sometimes where you need to speak up and you need to say something. But let the Spirit lead you on that and not fall into the trap of just being those keyboard warriors, right? Like our flesh wants to be. So here, here's where we wrap up. Here's the gospel. To survive this digital age, you and I need the greater friend, Jesus Christ. We need to know he's the only one who will fight for us, defend us, protect us. And it was Jesus that was determined to call out to us with an offer of kindness, with an offer of forgiveness, like Mephibosheth received. See, it was Jesus that was gentle when we deserved wrath. We deserved the condemnation. We deserved the judgment. But Jesus looked at us and says, I, I, I'll be gentle with you. 
And what the word says in Romans, it says that it was his kindness that leads us to repentance. See, it was Jesus that gave us grace instead of condemning us. Are you today covered by that greater friend? Are you covered by his name? Have you said, I, I, I need that? If I were to stand before God today, I'm a dead dog. I have nothing to offer. I need the greater friend to cover me, Jesus Christ. The offer is available to us today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the great gift of what you've done for us. God, it's, it's purely by grace. That's it. I pray, Lord, that we are wise. And how do we interact with this world that's changing rapidly and that we point to Christ in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.